Good snowy morning to you all. There is so much going on today. Uh, if my head explodes, I apologize. It's just crazy. A lot going on. Uh, my wife Karen's been uh, helping staff the heart change workshop that's going on downstairs. She's had a great week. It's been a lot of good stuff going on there. And then I've been, Daniel and I have been trying to figure out how to cook dinner by ourselves. <laughs> We're not completely incompetent. We, we do all right. Then I got up and started snowing. Hey, before we uh, get into the message, uh, we're going to take a second and pray for Gene and Linda Fisher. They are uh, longtime missionary partners with us. Uh, They're uh, serving in Thailand, and they have a ministry of uh, education. They, they both work at Grace International School in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Uh, Linda is the secondary uh, principal, and Gene teaches... Uh, music band, and uh, they've been there for quite a while. And so basically, their ministry is helping make disciples of students, and that's uh, a really good school. And that also provides assistance to other missionary partners who work somewhere in the area and need need a place where their kids can be well cared for. So we appreciate the ministry they're doing. Gene recently fell and broke his shoulder in four places, so we want to pray for his recovery. He's doing well, but it's obviously a process. And then a big one to pray for, uh, they recently uh, lost a very large civil lawsuit, and it's very complicated, but basically they are losing their main school building, uh, and so they're going to need a, a new location. So we want to pray that God will provide that. Will you join me, and let's pray for Gene and Linda. Father, thank you for um, our partnership with the Fishers. Thank you that they have been so faithful for so many years. First in Pakistan, now here in Thailand. We pray for them. We pray for healing for uh, Jean, that you would uh, just help that injury to be overcome quickly. Uh, and Lord, for uh, them both and the, all the staff and faculty as they figure out where they're going to be meeting as a school. That's a lot of students. A lot of uh, people's lives are touched by this. Lord, we know that you, you know what is best and you know uh, what needs to happen, and so we, we ask that you would do that. And Lord, we pray that their whole attitude toward this lawsuit will really reflect uh, trust in you, and you would be glorified in that. And so we pray you'd provide for them uh, something even better than they have now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you have a Bible and you want to open it up to uh, the book of Genesis, it's easy to find, first book. Uh, we're going to pick up at verse 35, but it'll be a minute till we get there. Um, we're starting a new series today, New Year, new series, and we are going to be spending uh, the next several weeks focusing on this great responsibility and great privilege that we have as a church that God has given us to be fruitful and multiply. And I have a few reasons for wanting to do this series. Number one is that I personally want to grow in this area. And I know if I preach on it, that means I'm going to have to do a lot of thinking and praying about it with you. So um, I'm looking forward to that. 
Um, another reason is um, I've been reading some of John Piper's thoughts on this, and um, as is not unusual with me, I think his thoughts are worth sharing. Um, he's helped me to see many uh, important truths in God's Word, uh, helped me see them more clearly, and so this one is no exception. But really, the main reason I want to explore this topic with you is because um, the elders are convinced that God is calling us as a church to greater fruitfulness, greater fruitfulness. We've been um, meeting and, and talking and praying uh, much over the past year, a little over a year, uh, seeking what God's particular vision for us would be as a church family. And as we've had those discussions, the, the topic of greater fruitfulness, greater effectiveness in outreach has consistently risen to the top of those discussions. Churches are meant to multiply. Churches are meant to multiply. Now, I'm not talking about numerals on a page, okay? This is not math class. Uh, we're talking about multiplying people, multiplying disciples, multiplying followers of Jesus. Uh, Jesus told us, I mean, that's the commission he gave his followers in Matthew chapter 28, uh, to make disciples of all nations. And so that means our purpose um, is to help more and more people hear the good news about Jesus, uh, put their trust in him, love him, obey him, learn what that means, what that looks like, and... Um, that's, that's why we're here. Now, the early church, they understood this. They really went after it. You can see it in places like Acts chapter 6, verse 7. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Uh, or Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And what I want to show you today is that this has always been God's will. It has always been God's will for his people to be fruitful and multiply. In fact, this is the very first commandment given to humanity. After God created the first couple, his first command to them, Genesis 1, 28, it says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So fill the earth and subdue it. Now the question is why? Why did God want the earth filled with people who have dominion over the rest of creation? Well, if you back up a couple verses, you see the answer, Genesis 1.26. Then God said to himself, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then he gives them the commandment, 
to be fruitful and multiply and rule over creation as his image on this earth. God wants a world filled with people to reflect his image, to reflect the glory, to reflect the goodness of who he is and to demonstrate that. God's aim is a world filled with his glory. And see, this is a huge theme throughout the Bible from beginning to end. God's story from beginning to end is all about this, filling the earth, displaying his glory throughout the earth. Uh, Habakkuk 2.14, for example, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is why God commanded us to be fruitful and multiply, to fill this earth with his glory. As we image bearers display his image. Okay, but there's more to this than just multiplying physically, obviously. Uh, Some of you might have been wondering if the main point of this message is to tell our families uh, of childbearing age, have more kids. Well, it's a good thought. More kids in our church family would be a good thing, whether it's through uh, birth or adoption or foster care or whatever. That's not really my point, though, uh, because here's the reality. Physical reproduction alone does not automatically multiply the display of God's glory. Because ever since humanity rebelled, Against God, his image in us has become distorted. And so, filling the world with people hasn't just filled the world with people, it's filled the world with all kinds of evil. Because we fail to love God, we fail to love his glory above other things. We fail to pursue His glory. We fail to display His glory. That's Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. However, as we're going to see, the command to be fruitful and multiply is still in effect. It's just that there's more to it than just making more people. It's making more people who know God, more people who love God, more people who are enabled by God to do good and display His glory. So, see, it's, it's spiritual multiplication as well as physical uh, multiplication. And this is also a major theme of the Bible. This also goes back to the very beginning, you know, Uh, God did not come up with the spiritual multiplication plan as an afterthought, you know, uh, plan B. Plan A, well, let's fill the earth with people, you know, in my image. Oops, that didn't work. Well, let's go to plan B. Let's make it spiritual multiplication. No, it's not an afterthought. It's been part of the plan from the very beginning, and we'll see that. Um, We're going to pick it up here you know, somewhat in the middle of a story in Genesis 35. It's, It's a 
an account of where God appears to a man named Jacob. And if you don't know who Jacob is, key player uh, in God's story, Jacob becomes the father of 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the, the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is where the whole nation of Israel and the people uh, of Israel come from. And uh, we're going to see what God says to Jacob here in Genesis 35. So take a look, beginning in verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, that's where I want you to really zero in here. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. Now you can see here there's a reaffirmation of the original command. Be fruitful and multiply. But there's more here, and there's something here in these words that I think should be tremendously encouraging and motivating to us as a church as we think about our responsibility, our privilege, uh, and increasing our fruitfulness and multiplying disciples. But before I show you that encouraging, motivating thing, I want to first answer a very important question. And that is, you know, kind of like, well, what are you doing in Genesis 35? Why don't we go and talk about Matthew 28? I mean, can we really take these words to Jacob and apply them to us? You know, because these words originally spoken to Jacob were mainly about multiplying physical offspring. Can we actually apply these words to us in thinking about spiritual offspring, mainly? See, that's an important question. You got to think carefully about this because you cannot just flip the Bible open, find any verse you happen to like, and apply it to your life and say, Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm claiming this. You know, if I had a young man come up to me and say, Pastor Scott, I need to marry a woman named Sarah. And if I do that, I'll have a son named Isaac. And I said, uh, Why do you think that? He said, Well, I'm claiming Genesis 17 19. Genesis 17, 19 says, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Yeah, I was just reading through the Bible, and that verse just jumped out at me, and, you know, I'm going to claim it. Uh, If he did that, I would say, bad idea. You're misinterpreting the Bible. Those words were spoken to Abraham, not to you. You can't just take any verse you like and, you know, if it was spoken to someone else, assume it applies to you. You have to have biblical reasons for doing that. You need solid biblical reasons. So I'm going to give you two biblical reasons for applying this command, be fruitful and multiply here from Genesis 35, and applying it to us. Okay? First one. These words reaffirm God's promise to multiply nations. 
Now this gets us back to a man named Abraham. Genesis chapter 12 uh, is where it starts and then it just continues on. And God chooses a man named Abraham who is Jacob's grandfather and he makes a promise to him. And I want you to look at the way this promise is stated in Genesis 17. Behold, my covenant is with you. A covenant is a uh, promise that involves certain uh, obligations. Uh, people entered into a covenant similarly to the way we enter into contracts. There are obligations here. And God entered into this covenant relationship with this man named Abraham. And this is huge. This is just a huge piece of the story. Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Abraham means father of a multitude. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Now, just take those words and compare them to what we already looked at in Genesis 35, and notice how similar they are. Okay, in both cases, you have a name change, Abram to Abraham, Jacob to Israel. You have this promise of kings. Um, but the key thing to notice is the last part, the promise that many nations will come from them. God promises Abraham that he will be the father of a multitude of nations. And then in Genesis 35, where we started, God promises Jacob a company of nations. It's another word for a bunch. That's a technical Hebrew term. A bunch of nations shall come from you, a company. Can you see that these are essentially the same promise being reaffirmed? Started with Abraham and now Jacob. So you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The same promise is being affirmed to them. So here's the point. Being fruitful and multiplying, according to the covenant promise God made to Abraham and reaffirmed to Jacob, being fruitful and multiplying includes a multiplying of nations. You see that? All right, next step, second reason. This multiplying of nations is fulfilled spiritually, not physically. That's really critical. In other words, God's promise to Abram, Abraham, it finds its ultimate fulfillment in God's plan by many, many people becoming Abraham's descendants by faith, not by birth. Look at Romans chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. That is why it depends on faith, the Apostle Paul says, in order that the promise, and he's talking here about the promise made to Abram, Abraham. Um, if you go and read all of Romans 4, in fact, read the book of Romans up to that point, you'll see the argument. He's talking about God's promise to Abraham in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, all of Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherent of the law. Now there he's talking about the Jews, the Israelites, the physical descendants of Abram who, who received the law, the Torah, through Moses. Not only to the adherent of the law, to the Jews, the Israelites, but also 
to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. That is, both Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews, who believe. As it is written, now look at this quote, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Where did he get that quote? Where did that come from? Do you remember it? Just back up. That's from Genesis 17. So this promise made to Abraham and then reaffirmed to Jacob about many nations, how is that promise to be fulfilled? Not in a physical sense. Now, Abraham became the father of Isaac and another guy named Ishmael. Uh, Isaac became the father of Jacob and Esau, and then Jacob became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, well, if you do the math, Abraham became physically the forefather of three nations. The Ishmaelites, the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, and the Israelites. Three nations. Three nations is not a multitude. I mean, it's three. Okay, that multitude doesn't fit. However, when you add in all of Abraham's spiritual children, boom, you get a multitude. Okay, now look at Galatians 3, 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So this multitude of nations that was promised to Abraham and Jacob, and this is God's plan to multiply a a multitude through those guys, this includes spiritual descendants, those who are of faith. And let's be clear, he's not just talking about some vague faith. Okay, anybody happens to say, well, I have faith in God or something like that. No, no, no. It's faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in the Lord Jesus, the ultimate descendant of Abraham who came to fulfill these promises, who came to give us new hearts that love God, that love His glory, and want to see His glory displayed throughout the earth. Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and you are heirs according to the promise. Now, how does this all fit together? Well, this is how it fits together. What this means is, if you're here today and you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have become a descendant of Abraham. You are part of the fulfillment of this promise that God made to this guy so long ago and reaffirmed and continued to bring about. If you are here and you're a believer in Jesus, then you you not only are part of the fulfillment of that promise, when you share the good news with others and they put their faith in Jesus, then this promise in Genesis 35, 11, is being fulfilled in us. 
we are being fruitful and multiplying exactly as God commanded. See, this really does apply to us. It really does. Because we are to be fruitful and multiply by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. Why? Because God still wants this world filled with his glory. The plan hasn't changed. It's the same aim. Multiply the display of God's glory through people throughout the earth. Now I can show you the thing that I think is encouraging and motivating here. Okay, Notice that along with the command to be fruitful and multiply, there's a promise. There's a promise. Do you see it? Go back and look. God not only gives Jacob a command to be fruitful and multiply, God promises to enable him to fulfill the command. That's the point of saying, I am God Almighty. See how he says it? I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, those are connected. God's not just making some random statement. Oh, and by the way, I'm God Almighty, in case you didn't know. He's not talking about, you know, just how he relates to the universe in general here. I mean, it's true. He is God Almighty for the entire universe, but that's not why he says it here. He's not talking about how he relates to the universe in general. He's talking about how he relates to Jacob personally. He's telling Jacob that he is almighty on Jacob's behalf. His almightiness is for him to help him, to sustain him, to strengthen him. He's saying this, Jacob, you can be fruitful and multiply because I am God Almighty. I am the God who made a promise to Abraham, your father, your your grandfather, to your father Isaac, and I am Almighty for you because of my promise. And if you will trust me as God Almighty then you can and you must and you will be fruitful and multiply. So here's how this applies to us. Because we know, because of the study we just did, because we know that being fruitful and multiplying includes spiritual fruit and spiritual multiplying, then we know that this powerful promise also applies to us. This is God's word to Philida, as well as to Jacob. We are children of Abraham if we believe in Jesus the Messiah. And every person we lead to Jesus is a fulfillment of this promise. I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. See, I really want us to hear that. I want us to not read it, oh, look what God said to Jacob, how interesting. I want us to hear it like he's saying it to us because I believe he is. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply, Philida. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. See, this has huge implications. And here's what I think the biggest one is. This is the thing I want you to walk out of here with today. We can be confident that God wants us to succeed at making disciples. 
we need to be confident, we can be confident, we should be confident that God wants us to succeed at this. And he will enable us to do it. Look, it's his idea. You know, the elders didn't sit around and think, well, what should we just, you know, as a church, what, what, what are we to do? We're not going to take a poll. We're not going to, you know, go out and say, hey, you know, why do, why do churches exist? What? No, it's what has God said. This is his idea. This is his command. This is his promise. So hear it again. Let these words just ring in your ears. I am God Almighty, therefore be fruitful and multiply. Do you waver? Do I waver? We think, wow, really? God will enable us to do this. We can be confident. Do you know, remember what John the Baptist said to the Pharisees? I don't know if you know the story, but uh, uh, John the Baptist was baptizing people uh, to get them to repent and basically saying, you know, you you can't count on being right with God just because you happen to have been born into a certain family. Just because you happen to be born Jewish, and, and this is a good message for all of us, you know, just because if you were born and raised in a Christian family, that doesn't make you a Christian. God doesn't have grandchildren. He's got children by faith. And, and John the Baptist told the Pharisees, they came out to see what he was doing, and he said, don't think that just because you're, you know, physically children of Abraham, that you're okay, and that somehow uh, that's what God just needs. God could raise up children to Abraham from rocks. God could turn rocks into children of Abraham. Aren't we sometimes tempted to think that God could never use us to win, you know, maybe that person or that person or that person in our life? God could never use us to win that person because their hearts are just so hard. It's like a rock. How could we ever soften that hard heart? We can't. But God can. And that is the point. God does that. God, the, the fact that we're even here today, do you realize what that means? It means God took our stony heart of unbelief and he changed it. And he raised up children of Abraham right here. And he can do that. We can't do that, but he can do that. And so hear him and believe him when he says, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. Be encouraged. Be confident. And here's the real confirmation of all this. Do you realize this is the very same point? This is the very same argument Jesus uses in what we call the Great Commission? Matthew 28, 18, when he says, how does it start? Do you remember? Do you know what it, are you familiar with this? He starts out, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What does that sound like? All authority in heaven and earth. I've got all authority in heaven and earth. Does that sound kind of like, I am God Almighty? I've got all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. Be fruitful and multiply. I am Christ Almighty. Therefore, be fruitful and multiply. Go and make disciples, and you will succeed. 
because I will be with you to the very end of the age. I will be almighty on your behalf as you do what I've commanded you to do. All right, so I want to get real practical about this. And if you take out, if, if you haven't yet, uh, the sheet, the note sheet, down at the bottom of that, I've left a little space or just another piece of paper or, you know, uh, carve it into a credit card. I don't care. Just write it on something. What I want, <laughs> want you to do, I want you to think about and write down the names of one or two or three people Someone that you love, someone that you long to see come to know Jesus Christ. A few names of some people that you long to see become part of this God multiplying a multitude of people who know him, who love him, who display his glory. And I want you to write down the names of one or two or three people or four or whatever, a few people And I want you to commit to this, as I do. Commit to praying for them daily, at least until Easter Sunday. That's March 27th. And I want you to pray this. I want you to ask God to be almighty on your behalf as you seek to obey his command to be fruitful and multiply. And that he will give you wisdom and courage and confidence to lovingly share, look for opportunities, make opportunities to share the good news with that person or those people. Just every day, pray. Pray that God will be almighty on your behalf and I'll do the same. And we're going to trust God that God, when he says, I am God almighty, be fruitful and multiply, he meant what he said and he will enable us to do what he said. All right, will you do that? Join me in doing that. All right, let's bow and pray and commit ourselves to that and to whatever else God would choose to do in and through us. Father, you are mightier than we sometimes think. Lord, it just seems to be so easy for me, and I'm sure for others too, to just kind of put you in a box and, and uh, have limited confidence in you when really our confidence should just be overwhelmed, overflowing, that uh, you in your grace would continue to reach out to sinners like us to extend your good news, to bring us into your family, and to renew your image in us that it might be displayed as we do the good things you have created in advance for us to do. So, Lord, help us be faithful to trust you, to take you at your word, that you are God Almighty, and that you have called us to be fruitful and multiply, and will you help us to do that? Help us to pray for people, help us to be faithful. And help us share your good news. And Lord, we just want to see you do what you alone can do. Change rocky, stony hearts into living, loving hearts. Hearts that love you and love your glory above all things. God, do that in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.